Heidi Preibel has placed fine and decorative art in distinguished museums and collections across the country, including the Los Angeles County Museum, at the behest of actor and collector Steve Martin, the Museum of Fine Arts Boston, the Peabody Essex Museum, and the Rhode Island School of Design Museum. She continues to acquire exceptional pieces, many of which can be found in clients' homes. Preble was educated at Harvard College, attended the New York School of Interior Design, worked independently as an antiques and art dealer, and has approached interior design, staging of properties, teaching and speaking engagements with the inquisitive spirit, heart, and joy, which began with her early interest in interiors, objects, and their history. Please join me in warmly welcoming Heidi Preble. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Is this on? Yes. Wonderful. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for, for being having here. Having me. Thank you for being here, everyone. So this conversation came to be. Heidi and I were here at the Athenaeum one day, and we're gazing upon shopping for furs by Polly Thayer Star that you see when you enter to the right in circulation. And we started off talking about the obvious fur. Then we started talking about the stocking that was rolled down a little bit past the knee, the kind of disheveled over it look. We were like, is she shopping for furs? Or is she helping someone shop for furs and she's over it? We were just like, what are all of the things that are going on? Then Heidi started talking about the pattern and the style of the chair and how that was reminiscent of the time. So all of this brought us to, we should have a conversation on how fashion, art, design, class, gender, all of those things intersect because Heidi knows a little bit about all of that. So, what is your take on shopping for furs? This is one of Polly Thayer Starr's most inf infamous works. Tell us a little bit more about why you were excited about using this as a point of entry for our conversation. Um, okay, my, my perception of it. The perception is a very dynamic process and looking looking at her um, I just feel a, a lot of gravity with even the um, slip cover sort of bows down and she seems not only exhausted but particularly um, exasperated when when you look at the expression on her face so um, I shop for a living, so I, I just have a lot of sympathy for her at the end of the day, and I think she's exhausted uh, yeah, helping patrons, basically, shop for furs. Uh, that's what it looks like to me. Um, the, the, the name of the painting sounds you know, quite uh, elitist, but I, I don't think that that's really what's going on here. There's definitely a bit of a reverence there, for sure. So one of the things you just said that you, you shop for a living. I do, I do. <laughs> so, and you mentioned a little bit about perception and how it's just something, it's, it's emotional, it's based on fact, it's also based on history, memory, feeling, all of these different things. So part of perception is the one person's trash is the treasure of another. 
when you're scouring for antiques and fine art in all of these dealerships across the world. How did you develop your sense of taste and luxury and kind of develop what it is that is the Heidi Pribble aesthetic? Well, I don't know. Um, I, I really work for my clients, um, but uh, every object here has a story and uh, uh, the picture here really shows mixing the mundane with treasures because on your left side is um, a picture of my booth at the New York Winter Antique Show and um, <clears throat> the, the aggregate value of of all the objects is probably worth more than the entire room on the right uh, which, which shows me in a warehouse filled with furniture uh, for my staging business, which um, I, 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 I help people sell homes that were languishing on the marketplace. Uh, so, um, yeah. That's Part of that I, I staging mean, business turned into some set design for a film, too, didn't it? Well, I was doing, I did that, I did that much, I did that before, but, you know, I've always studied kind of good, better, and best, and that's how I've um, developed uh, my taste, and, and, and objects have stories, so um, I, I just really relate to the narratives that come about when you, when you put things together. Um, oh, nobody can hear me? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Hello? Okay, whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, talking about the way that you put things together, this is daring and not caring, the way that you unapologetically mix the good, better, best, the high, and the low. Tell us a little bit about what's happening here in these images. We can immediately recognize the Cecil Beaton photo of Marilyn Monroe, but tell us about how this relates to the image in the middle and then the one on the end that's above Heidi. Um, well, it's amusing to see this uh, picture of another woman in recline, but she, she conversely seems to be floating. Um, uh, but the, the story really starts with the room on the left, and um, I was inspired by a piece of fabric and had this idea that I needed to come up with a new form of decoration um, called uh tribal classicism and I made a stencil and put it on the wall there and this was before there were lasers and um, there's my stencil uh, so I decorated the wall like that and unwittingly um, years later did I see this photograph of Marilyn Monroe and uh, I was just astonished because uh, I had because I had had no idea but um, yeah, I feel irreverent about things because when I was in New York um, practicing interior design, the 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 commentary on things were, was uh, they're chic or they're not chic, and I never really knew what that meant, nor did I kind of respect that opinion. So um, I I went out and and decided to learn uh, everything about some things and and something about everything. Uh, about decorative arts uh, held in museum collections across America and in Europe. Um, 
and uh, good, better, best is is how yeah I've I've come up with uh, my my vision for things. I always have a story. Uh, I, I like to weave stories together for clients uh, based on objects that. Uh, yeah, look there. Design is storytelling. <laughs> Beauty's always in the eye of the beholder. And um, early on, I began playing a game with myself. Uh, whenever I reacted negatively towards something, I'd immediately challenge myself to change the context uh, of the object and 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 um, contrast it with other things so that, in fact, oh, wow, the object looks good now. I always wanted to fall in love with whatever uh, it was, even if I didn't like it uh, initially. And that that uh, habit of mine, this game that I play, uh, is very handy when working with clients because everybody has dif different tastes. Um, I actually, the powder room on the left began with an object I really had a lot of disdain for, which was uh, the sink there. It was, I felt gaudy, um, gilded, and polychromed, but um, I wound up putting it together in a very nice way with a Biedermeyer plant stand, and we created a nice little, little room and story, story there. Of course, it was all very expensive. Um, <laughs> it, do, it does help to have some money. <laughs> Speaking of expensive, we actually juxtaposed this with the two images in the middle are from the Cartier design and the special collections here at the Athenaeum. And much like in the image previously where Heidi did something that she didn't know existed already. There's a lot of times where all of this inspiration swells up, but it's from things that maybe you do or don't even remember. What do you do when you get stuck with a client that says, I want a room that reminds me of that compact. I want an entire room that looks like that compact. Well, I mean, you know, forms you see, form, texture, materials, you can, you know, you use objects like that and then um, project them onto walls and floors and uh, furniture. I mean, the curved compact down below, I, I mean, you could use um, curved, curved tub chairs and uh, walls that are, uh, a I can't tell what material it is. Oh, I guess it's gilded. Yes, I think we need to gild the ceiling. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the other set there was uh, an ode. It was a, a show house that was supposed to uh, show favor to uh, the Fenway emerald uh, necklace. And so... Uh, that, that, that's what that's supposed to be emblematic of. Um, yeah, jade. Love it. Green. Green is such a happy color. So the, the inspiration comes from everywhere. Um, you just said you just talked about the one that was inspired by Fenway and the Emerald. This one is one of your more playful interiors that you did that we've juxtaposed against a photo of Man Ray. Just the the musicality, the art, the fashion, and again, just how these things always play off of each other. When you're doing all of this object sorting and parsing through your inspirations, your client desires, what does beauty mean to you personally and professionally, and how does that show up in your interiors? 
Um, okay, well, first of all, this is um, Daniel Webster's music room um, on your right uh, that for another show house uh, I decorated uh, and, 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 and took the springboard for that off of the frieze up above that's kind of Japanesque. Um, but, but beside that, so I was always interested in beauty, and so I went about it in a seemingly logical way um, by... Uh, comparing and contrasting items based on their style, their form, proportion, scale, texture, materials, contrasting, um, and, 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 and it really kind of gives me a basis for understanding all, all things. But, um, aesthetics and beauty, aesthetics actually, uh, means like the perception of your senses and, um, History, historically, senses aren't trusted to be any kind of reliable method of um, establishing the truth. So beauty, beauty is elusive and is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> so how do you, putting all of those things together, how do you start your palette? Where did the stories begin? You've gotten all of this inspiration. You've talked to your client. You've looked through certain history books or certain advertising or design books. Where does the actual story begin? Um, well, it's, it, it's kind of complicated, but um, haptic perception is something I um, just kind of learned about from um, my friend John, who's here. Um, and uh, I've kind of embraced it. And then the quote, um, while we dream of the future and uh, learn eternal truths from the past, um, I always try to reassure clients, because I do know so much about history, that I don't want to just reproduce it. And in, in fact, you know, we need to make their current existence in their house, you know, part of the 21st century. Um, and, uh, but, but haptic perception relates to the sense of touch. And it basically engages your feelings, like how your feelings, um, uh, are interpreted by, uh, your sense, uh, of, of perception as you walk through a space, for instance. Um, and, uh, it, it, as a concept, it, I mean, you're probably wondering what the house is there for. And that, that just goes to a basic principle. It's been proven that people everywhere, if you ask them, children, anyone all over the world, um, no matter what kind of house structure they have, if you ask them to draw a house, they draw it like this. And it's emblematic of a face, uh, with a door in the center as a mouth and two windows up above his eyes. And we're, um, we're hardwired to see faces and to see creatures. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's a visual thing, but, um, I, I also have thought perhaps I have synesthesia uh, because I feel like I taste color. I feel like I can hear color harmonies. And haptics uh, basically is uh, the way all of our senses come together and it really engages our emotions. So uh, when I'm working with clients, um, you know, I definitely take note of the objects that they live with and 
even how they dress, because I think, you know, the way you feel about your body presentation, you know, really uh, uh, exemplifies, uh, you know, the way you're going to live in your house. So I, I, I draw on a lot of cues uh, that are sometimes intangible. <laughs> tangible, but some things are tangible if you can actually see them and see them for what they are. So tell us a little bit about this discovery that we see here. Right. So a gift of an eye can really help you ferret out treasures in a, in a pile of trash. And I don't know, but I found this mantelpiece in a pile of junk that was getting ready to be hauled away um, for, from a salvage company. And over the course of many years, um, researched it and uh, more recently sold it to the Museum of Fine Arts. Um, yeah, and and I just I, I I just adore I just adore the um, the caryatids and their posture because the women there they're so serene, um, despite the burden that they're carrying um, above them of the entablature, uh, just like the caryatids at the Acropolis, and uh, with their bent knee, you know they have a very sinuous form, and and they just seem like they're effortlessly going to move forward into uh, a graceful life. You know, <laughs> I I just and maybe really maybe compelling. move forward into inspiration for these window treatments. Yes, yes. So. Um, there, there you see the um, Acropolis. And so um, I found that mantelpiece originally for clients, and we incorporated it into a townhouse renovation. Um, and uh, there was a double parlor suite, and uh, the, the, the window treatments here asymmetrical, uh, kind of mirroring the, 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 the asymmetry of the bent knee caryatid. Um, yeah, I love fashion. <laughs> this is why we hit it off. <laughs> so just in speaking of fashion, we see here just, again, window treatments is one of the places that you talked about. Fashion comes out a lot just because you have movement, you have this opportunity for color. So on your left, you see one of the many fashion plates that we have here in the special collections at the Athenaeum. And then we see an up-close detail of one of your window treatments and an environment that you created. So just tell us a little bit more about the rough and trim and all the accoutrement that you dress a room with. Right. Um, well, uh, you know, as we move through any space, our bodies in constant dialogue with, with our surroundings. And um, I, I, I really take a lot of cues off of fashion. And so um, when I was doing this house, not only did we do the window treatments after the asymmetrical um, clothing on the caryatids, I also explored... Um, uh, portraiture and looked at details there and you can see uh, with 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 this portrait uh, you know ruffles um, around her neck and I just used some of those uh, same details on the uh, Roman shades here with uh, with taffeta and a sheer wool and just draped so beautifully <laughs> 
Let's talk about one of your favorite things, which is color. Oh, yeah. <laughs> before, before I became an antique dealer, I worked for a preeminent um, ceramics dealer, um, Earl D. Vandekar of Knightsbridge. And I learned so much. He just sold the best of the best. And in understanding um, the history of ceramics, I realized that um, that, that, that really was understanding culturally, um, throughout time and in various nations, countries, locations, status symbols, because all of the ceramics that were, you know, still made it through to today in, in good condition, you know, they, they were all status symbols. And, and then from that and understanding that, I just wanted to understand, uh, everything there was to know about status symbols over over the decades. So that's why I adore material culture. But you can see here there's um, an Isnik plate and two Japanese uh, pieces of, of ceramics. And, you know, quite clearly they were, I mean, that whole, I, I'm inspired by different patterns and color combinations that you find in ceramics. And I really love the... Chinese Kakioman color color palette that you see there. And, well, I love Isnik things, too. But, uh, yeah. And this is an interesting example of how you can take something that is from one culture and turn it into something completely different, but using it as inspiration, using perhaps the color palette or shapes of something. That's why I love colonial trade um, items, because it was always one culture trying to please another culture by interpreting their tastes. But, you know, invariably, uh, you, you know, you can see things made in Indonesia for the Dutch market and and they put they put some of their exotic foliage into the carvings or the paintings and um yeah i you know i also for color um harmonies for people's house i'm very inspired by um persian miniature painting uh, the colors and mughal the colors are just fascinating Speaking of which. Speaking of which. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more about this wall mural and how it came to be. I think you mentioned to me that this was Henri Rousseau meets the Scythians or something thereabouts. Well, that was my inspiration for it. Um, you know, historically, uh, murals are used in dining rooms. And uh, so in this house, there are two young boys living there. And... Um, with the colors we were using. Yes, I, I worked with an artist and, uh, we came up with a, with, uh, a glorious kind of story with, uh, deers prancing that, that look very much like, um, horses, Scythian horses. There's a gold brooch. I, I just, I just want to go to Bulgaria and dig in the dirt and, and find things like that, <laughs> archaeological pieces of gold and uh yeah and it winds up um henry rousseau painted very much in that in that fashion um and it, it's fun the little boys i mean they were like the four and two uh it was perfect for them wonderful so we talked a little bit about color and colors lead us to your pattern making <gasps> 
Well, yes. I, so I crave color. I crave pattern. Um, and uh, what's shown here is a springboard for inspiration uh, of uh, patterns that I, I created based on natural phenomenon. And uh, I... I, I I showed them last spring at the first user experience conference that was held um, at Tufts University. Uh, and uh, the, the point was to um, capture beauty from nature with um, the thought that, you know, it would similarly evoke the, the um, responses that we feel when we're in nature. But the patterns aren't here. That'll have to be another discussion. Um, each of the patterns, they weren't um, based on specific objects in nature, but more like the energy of nature, whether it was, you know, dry sand dunes and wind or patterns from the flow of water um, and just natural growth of, of trees and uh it, it, it was kind of fascinating because everybody's been inspired by nature uh, throughout the history of design, but but I was really trying to, uh, to, 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 well, you should see it because the patterns, they like stretch, they tangle, they never seem to repeat in any, any kind of way. They're all fra based on fractal dimensions. And you just mentioned that all artists use the same sources of inspiration regardless of the medium. So we're looking at your landforms collection on your left and then on your right you're looking at a piece from our special collection by the sculptor Khalil Gibran. This is the slipcover that he made for a process book for a commission work of a custom cabinet and I think you have a little bit of a history. I, I loved Khalil. <laughs> I don't know if any of you knew him but he was um, very um, enigmatic and uh, you know he 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 just lulled everyone. In fact, he did take me to the play pool at the billiards room um, and assured me he was a tiger on the table there. Um, he was quite, he, he, he felt he understood uh, Stradivarius's secret for, secret formula for making um, violins so, so marvelous. Uh, Khalil, I think he was the uh, nephew of Khalil Gibran. He, he was he was an amazing guy and uh, an, an incredible artisan. Yeah. So we put Heidi in good company. <laughs> so this is. Um, I want to talk a little bit about one of your most beloved projects, the Astor Revival, and why it holds a special place in your heart from the historic preservation to the aesthetic nature of the project. Tell us a little bit more about Hearth and Home. Um, well, uh, this room, which is the entrance to a, a magnificent, really probably the earliest um, surviving colonial revival home in America, um, it, that this is the heart center of of, of, of the, the house and up in the top left you can see what it looked like um, when um, 
uh, Arthur Astor Carey lived in it. He, he actually put his desk and worked in that room all day long under the, the, under the stairs. And for the past hundred odd years, um, you can see what it looked like, uh, down below on the left. It was basically just a pass-through area and kind of wasted real estate. Um, so, I mean, the hearth, uh, most mantelpieces, they're, they're the heart center of the home. Like, the most important things um, are put on the mantelpiece. It's kind of like treasury central. Um, and nobody ever appreciated the details that are in there that I found, like, there, there's the, there's metaphors in that mantelpiece uh, of air, earth, water. Um, it, 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 it's amazing. Um, and, 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 and the theme there is the strength and love. But I guess I'll give another talk all about that house. So what you see here is I said to the clients, let's use this real estate. It's so valuable. And um, I put seating groups, swivel chairs in the center. And where Arthur Astor Carey used to have his desk, I did a built-in um, banquette seating. And the, the space is just you know, wonderfully enjoyed by everyone in the way it should be. Yeah. I don't know. I, I love that project. <laughs> so we, she could indeed do an entire presentation on this amazing Astro Revival. We will keep you posted on when that happens. For now, we actually brought a portfolio sample that people, um, that you're able to flip through to see a little bit more of this amazing project and yeah, ask an, Heidi. It was an amazing project. It was it was based on um, John Hancock's home, which was demoed. Basically, um, historic preservation um, began with the failed attempt during the Civil War to preserve John Hancock Cox home. It was right up the street next to um, the state house. And, um, and, and many of the details were actually drawn by John Hubbard Sturgis, whose archives are held here in the Athenaeum. And so when Arthur Astor Carey was a student at Harvard, he heard about these privately held drawings of uh, John Hancock's home and uh, commissioned uh, John Hubbard Sturgis to, to build a home modeled after um, John Hancock's. And, and then they overly um, embellished every aspect of it um, <laughs> to establish what's known now as the colonial revival style. So after that, I'm sure that there are likely a lot of questions. So before we do that, can we please offer a warm round of applause for our guest, Heidi Pribel, this evening? Thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much.